Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. Well, you know, um, I was, you know, praying today on whether I should move into some veins concerning end times and um, but the Lord just directed me back. He said, no, you're going to do a leadership lesson. You're going to do one on confident leaders. Because at the end of the day, um, there's many to talk about. And I, I will ask the Lord, and we just did it. We dealt with some current event. Um, but it's more important that I don't follow the scene realm. Because I had an idea about ministering on Sunday in October and because of the month. And the Lord said, no, you'll save that till 2024. Because again, he will not let me just technic- use just natural things all the time to be at a, just because it's in people's minds. So it's really more important that we do follow what God says. Because what you see happening in the world is a leadership crisis. I'm gonna say that again, it's a leadership crisis. And um, our nation will not um, emerge as a leader if we do not train true leadership. Because our nation is not doing that. Our universities are not doing it. Our corporations are not doing it. I mean, the corruption across the board in the United States is huge. It's huge. You know, it's the church's responsibility to really raise up leaders. And we do not have the caliber of humanity in our nation because church is just an afterthought, even among believers. I mean, you just look at the turn of the century of the United States. You understand? Before that, right around the Industrial Revolution, okay? I mean, the majority of people had a moral compass and was going to church. Then we get into some conflicts. I'm not saying the whole United States will save. That's just not true. We understand that. But there was a, a national morality because of how important church was in our culture. And after, you know, the Second World War, a lot of fathers, you know, died in that conflict. And there were some challenges that were associated with that. Not only the ones who died, but the ones who came back. And, you know, that it started to really deal with the home a, a lot. And then eventually, you know, we start breaking down the home. And then all of a sudden, you know, the church itself begins to take a back seat to decision making and prosperity. To the point that here we are now, we started replacing the church with you know, a lot of universities and a lot of universities quit the ideal of following God. They started taking on the separation of church and state more and more. And the next thing you know, we're taking truths that can build leaders that no longer are even being communicated anymore. And that's why there's such a leadership vacuum in our nation and across the world. So, you know, we need to do a better job at coming back because it don't take a lot of us. I'm going to say that again. God can turn all kinds of things around with a remnant. And make no mistake about it. There is a remnant in the earth. As far as the globe is concerned, the United States and a few other nations would be the remnant. 
that still you know, says they are you know, a nation that does freely worship Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? There are very few nations that are that uh, open concerning that their people can worship Jesus Christ as Lord freely. That's a minority of nations. Okay? Then... Then, then there's a remnant within inside that because not all Christians are being earthly good. And it's not because they're spiritually minded. You know, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, I, I agree with that statement when all you're thinking about is going to heaven, you're definitely no earthly good. But you definitely should be heavenly minded and the more heavenly minded in the context of what is heaven saying so I can impact earth. Well, then you are going to be something for the earth. And so, you know, we have to continue to say, what's God saying and how can we enact this on the earth? And we have to continue to die to self. That's good. I was talking with our staff the other day, and um, we were talking about this statement that we're going to stop saying here. Uh, when I, or when we say it, you're going to know what it means, which is balance is the key to life. And um, so the minute you hear balance, you think a couple scales, right? They're balanced, right? And I, one of my youngest staff members says, there is no such thing as a yin and yang in the kingdom. And then another one of my staff says, well, when it comes to the kingdom, it says, Paul or John the Baptist said it the clearest, I must and he must. Well, increase is more weight. So when God begins to increase. So if you want to have a balanced life, we need to lose you and only have him. Because when you only have him, then every area of your life will actually become balanced. But the minute you try to categorize, well, I got my church life, I got my, my family life, I got my kids life, I got my job life, and we got to keep these balanced, you know, like I put this much time here. Not, all of you are off balance anyway because you're putting 40 or 50 hours in your job and you're only putting a couple hours here at the church. You've never been balanced there then if it was about time, which is what people say, right? Well, pastor, you know, I can't come to church. Because, you know, I've got to be with my family. I've got to balance my... Well, you're unbalanced because you're not seeking the Lord with all your heart. So if balance is the key of life, then it's all God, no you. And you're going to be extremely balanced because you'll never do anything wrong because you'll always be doing what God Because he's life. The minute you keep yourself in the equation, you're hindering your balance. Hallelujah. And so, you know, if we're going to have confident and strong leaders, then the leadership of the church has to say, all him, none of me. Because it's kind of crazy to think that God would never, would not let a husband be good to his wife. I mean, that's like ludicrous. that a wife would not be good to their husband if they sold out to God. Amen. I mean, it's just ludicrous that they couldn't be great parents if they sold out to God. Amen. 
Hallelujah. We need some leaders, man. At the end of the day, but leadership can only be found in knowing him. Again, obviously, you know, we wrote a book called Lead Follower. And again, you can't even be a lead follower if you're not following in the first place. And if you're not following the word, then you can't even aspire to real leadership. Now, you can accomplish worldly leadership, but that's worthless. I mean, it just gets you the world. It doesn't get you the kingdom. Amen. I mean, honestly, our nation right now should be in prayer. But we're just doing life. Hebrews 10, 35 says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Confidence means full of conviction, the state of being convinced um, to believe something is true. And the Bible is the only thing that is true. Everything else is not true. It may be factual. It may be facts. That is the fact. It is that way, but it may not be truth. Okay? Confidence means the quality or state of being certain, or we could use another word called boldness. Boldness. And we need boldness. Now, I will say this, that you have to understand, to be a confident leader to the ones that are insecure, they will always call you arrogant. Every insecure person, which means they lack confidence, will call a confident leader arrogant. They will actually call them prideful when the reality is it's the insecure that's prideful because they will not become what God has made them. And when you are what God's made you, then you don't care about what anybody, you're not intimidated by anybody else's gift or how they function because you can only be the best you. That's all you can be. You know, there's no competition really among us because I can't be you, you can't be me, and you're not supposed to be me. I'm not supposed to be you. I'm just wanting to be the best me. I want to be the Earl that the book's written about of Earl. I don't want to be your book. Now, I can get your pages if you don't do anything. But at the end of the day, just be the best you. And confidence comes because you know God and you know his word. Now, again, I say that because, well, I know God. Well, all the world knows God, but that doesn't mean they have a relationship with God, nor know his word, nor apply his word. And those things are different. So all confident leaders understand the value of never losing hope. Never losing hope. I don't care how bad the situation is. A confident leader will find hope. And I'm gonna just say it this way. They have to because hope itself is confident expectation. So the minute you lose hope about something, well, guess what? You, you can't confident lead, confidently lead in that area anymore. All right? So without hope, there's no way a leader can be or become confident. So I'm going to give you some points that are essential for possessing confidence. And this is for everybody in the room. This is not, a bibli- this is not church stuff in the sense that this only happens in church. This happens at your work. 
This happens in your home as a father or a mother. This happens in uh, your place of employment, whether you're an employee or whether you're a manager or you have some other type of authority there. It functions here. This ha happens in society. You know, in every sector of society, these principles work. And let me tell you, God needs you to apply these principles because he's looking for the children of God. The Bible says he, he himself looks through the earth, looking who he can find himself strong in. He's looking for faith in us. He's looking for someone that won't back down. Someone who will believe him at his word, even when it looks like his word won't work. Because ultimately, when he brings his word to pass through their faith, then God himself is glorified and the chances of more people repenting becomes possible. So the essentials for possessing confidence, the first thing is you must know and act on the will of God. You must know and act on the will of God. If you do not know the will of God, then your action will have no confidence, even if you're doing it. It will have the voice of uncertainty. Well, I don't know. We're just going to try. That's not confidence. Because at the end of the day, could it work out? Yes. But again, who wants to go through life? Not sure. Because the Bible is about surety. I said it's about surety. The word of God is about surety. And again, when we read our history book, the word, do you understand these aren't like things that happen in a church service? It's in church service stuff. I mean, when Jacob has been robbed of his wages 10 times and the Lord's like, all right, son, you're done. I want you to get your family and come back home. But before you go, I need to reward you for your faithfulness. So I am going to give you an idea on how to reproduce the strongest sheep. Some manufacturing in agriculture. This was not a church service. This was not getting filled with the Holy Ghost and falling on his face. This was not running around the pasture seven times. This was an idea that came from the Lord on how to breed the sheep. So what does he do? He goes to his father-in-law and he says, listen, the Lord wants me to return home, so I'm going to go, okay? And um, he was like begging. He said, no, no, I'm not. He said, well, he said, well, this is what I want to do. You know, obviously there's some livestock that's mine and yours. What we'll do is this. Just give me these type of sheep. You'll have these type of sheep. And that way you'll know and I'll know which one's mine. Yeah. And he's like, and when Laban looked at that, he saw all the white ones. There were very few spotted and speckled ones. And he was thinking to himself, this is a good deal. Sure, because he done robbed him, right? Anyway, well, then all of a sudden he starts reproducing. Next thing you know, all the white sheep are becoming weak. Yeah. And all the spotted ones speckled and spotted, were getting stronger. And, and it's, was that happen chance? Was that just luck on the part of this particular breeding season? No, it was intentional. It was a plan from God that Jacob was so confident that he was like, this, just let me 
breed sheep. I'm going to keep yours. I'll breed my own. And at the end of the day, we'll split at the end of the season. And all of a sudden, the brothers began to, you know, the sons of Laban was like, we're losing our flock. Jacob's getting the strongest ones. And again, now he's like, they're not going to steal my stuff anymore. God just gave me my wage. So he's like, we're out of here. And they left. But he had a business idea. Joseph, that is not a church service idea. It's not a church service idea. Jacob was so confident about his that he could tell him to do it. And he acted on it because he had the known will of God of how to get stronger sheep. And he got it. That was all by faith. He practiced what he was told. Joseph himself, when he was called up to the king out of prison, right? And he gives him the dream. He gets a download by God of the interpretation. He was confident enough to say what he didn't do is say, well, I could be wrong. I'm really not. I mean, I, I have an idea what it could be. Could be. You know, or how about the false humility? Oh, I'm nothing. And I'm not even sure if what I'm going to say is right. No, he was confident. He's like, what I'm about to tell you, God himself has given me the answer. I got the answer from God. I'm telling you right now. And I'm going to give you the answer. I'm going to shoot straight with you. And what I loved about him is he was so confident in another dream before Pharaoh's. And that was his own dream, that he would rise to power and that his family would bow down to him, that he did not negotiate with Pharaoh for his release prior to interpreting it. Not only does he interpret the dream accurately, he gives him the economic plan to escape the famine as a king. And then says, that's the guy you need to find. Because Pharaoh could have says, we'll take your advice. Put the prisoner back in jail. Because Hebrews are loathsome to Egyptians. Joseph never changed that in the administrative of Pharaoh. That they always thought that Hebrews were loathsome. I mean, his own servants wouldn't eat with him. And he is the prince of Egypt. Okay. So this is a serious thing we're talking about. We're talking about confidence. And I'm just, you know, with the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And the reality is, is where is the righteous? I mean, we're treating righteousness like I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. So when I die, I go to heaven. That's all righteousness is. When the wealth of the wicked laid up for the righteous, the righteous hearing from heaven, being a confident leader on what they need to do to enact the kingdom of God somewhere and it will cause things to shift in their everyday life. So you got to know and act on the will of God. First John 5, 14 and 15 says it this way. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have, we have the request which we have asked from him. We know we have it. 
I said, we know we have it. So this is the confidence, the assurance. This is the boldness that we have before him, that if we're asking anything according to his will, which means he told us what his will is, we've heard that, now we're telling him back what his will is. Now you said, now you said, and when we say that, we're saying you said it, you're the king, you're the one who made that law, you're the one who said that this would come to pass, you're the one that said it would be this way, you're the one that said it would come out according to your word, and I'm only doing what your word says. And there's confidence there. Many people aren't healed because they're not confident that they'll be healed, although they know he can heal. There's a difference. Same thing with prosperity. Same thing with joy. Same thing with a restored marriage. Same thing with restoration of kids or relationships. Same thing with promotions. There's a lot of times we don't have the fortitude to stay confident about it in order to see it come to pass. Because if we're going to lead, we're going to have to hear the voice of God, know his will, and then act on that thing. Hallelujah. Ephesians 3.12 says this, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith, by the faith of him. So again, we have this confidence. The minute we know the will of God and we know what to do, we're going to step out and do this thing. Because again, whatever he's asking, then he will back it. He'll back it. He'll perform it. But his performance is through you. I said it's through you. Can he perform just at your word? Yes. But he also can perform at your obedience to touch somebody. But it requires you to touch. You know, again, you're somewhere and the Lord says, go lay hands on them. I want to heal them. You know his will now. Be a confident leader. Go act on the deal. Well, but what if they don't get it? See, you're not confident. You're not confident what you just heard. You're not confident that actually heals through the laying on the hands. You're questioning your doubt. Your insecurities are kicking in. Well, you're not healing anybody anyway. You're just acting on the known will of God. Right? But a lot of times, well, Lord, just heal them. I just pray you'll heal them. Like, you do it. You get all the glory. I'm going to get it all, son. You just touch them. <laughs> I mean, I can get all the glory with you touching them. Amen. Because... Sometimes that's how God does it because he needs you to touch because he needs more than just a healing to occur. He needs a conversation to occur where your name is known and they know they can come back and talk to you because God has worked through you in their life. But if they don't even know you exist. Are you hearing me? So this is important for us to have confidence. We must know and act on the will of God. The second thing is this, maintain righteousness. Say maintain righteousness. You know how much money people spend to go to leadership conferences? Ma, ma, ma. I mean, you know, technically you're not getting it for free because I paid a price to know this. I'm just giving it. And then you don't technically get it if you don't receive it. You can be in the room freely, but freely miss it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. But the world is paying to hear the world's way of getting ahead. And the church is paying to get that leadership too. But they don't want to hear their own. God's. 
Don't despise it. I said, don't despise it. So we, uh, essential for possessing confidence. One, you have to know and act on the will of God. Number two, you have to maintain righteousness. First John 3, 21. First John 3, 21. <clears throat> Beloved, if our hearts, if our heart does not condemn us, we have what? Confidence before God. We'll say that again. Beloved. Now, who's beloved? Who's the beloved? These are believers. This is not the lost. If our heart does not what? Condemn. Condemn. There's a lot of chatter that gets around between two words, conviction and condemnation. Yet here, John, 1 John, which is the Apostle John, who's known as the love apostle. I mean, this is Dr. Love talking. And Dr. Love says, you can have uh, something condemn you. We ain't talking about conviction. We're talking about condemn. And I'll preach on that later. It says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, which tells us if we're not living right, we can have a sense of condemnation among in us. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't bring that. We brought it upon ourselves because we're not living righteously. Which means you can walk into a church where the majority of people are living righteous, the fellowship's righteous, the singing's righteous, the message is righteous, and you're feeling horrible. And then leave and say, that church made me feel condemned. No, your heart did that. The church gave you the ability to be free. Because only you can get your heart right. Because if your heart condemns you, you're not going to have confidence. I mean, it's, it's, look what's beloved. If our heart condemns us not, you see that? If is a conditional statement. Then, so the condition is that our heart doesn't condemn us. And if that condition is met, by a believer, then they'll have confidence where? Toward God. So what's the other implication? If your heart does condemn you, then what's the, what will take place? Then you'll have no confidence toward God. You won't. You're not going to be confident at all. And again, it's your fix. This is what's so awesome. It's so awesome. Because guess what? You get to fix your heart. You don't have to have somebody forgive you to get your heart fixed. You don't have to have somebody to come to you and say, I'm sorry I wronged you to get your heart fixed. You can get your heart fixed on your own. You can get your own heart fixed. You don't have to have all the bad things that ever happened in life, all the mistreatments, all the offenses, all the stuff that came your way to wait around to get your heart fixed. You can fix your own heart through your own, uh, you know, Confession, belief, release, all that. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't come. It shouldn't take place. It would help in the realm of healing to a degree per se. But as far as you getting your heart right, you control that. Because if somebody else could control it, 
then God could not be just. And if someone else could control it, don't you think God would? So you do. You do. And how do you know if your heart condemns you? Well, what situation are you in that all of a sudden something happens with you? I mean, you could be great, you know, about 100 people, but one other person walk in the room and there's a problem. Well, that's your heart condemning you saying something ain't right between you and them. You need to get that fixed. Now, it could be you personally just need to get it fixed. You just need to let it go. It could be that you need to go to them because he may have said, didn't I tell you to go to them? And you hadn't done it because you just wanted it to go away. But it's a requirement because the king's called it now. And now you got to do what the king said if you want to get in freedom. Because freedom comes because you do what the king says, not because you put it under a rug. Because a condemned heart becomes a hard heart. And you lack confidence. Are you hearing me? And again, we're not talking arrogance. Oh, I'm good. No, you ain't good. You're not good. You're not good because you have a problem with that person. That's the problem. You got to fix that. Because you're commanded. Not suggested. To love the brethren. All right. Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and, and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, I'm doing some progression here uh, intentionally. The first scripture lets us know if our heart does not condemn us, we're going to have confidence towards God. So if our heart condemns us, then we're never going to his throne because you are to go to his throne. How? Let us draw near with what? to the throne of grace. So if you don't have confidence in confidence because of your heart issue, you can't come to the throne, which means you're not going to receive mercy and find grace to help you. Okay. Now you can say you're coming to God, but you're not really coming to God because your heart's not in it. You really want God to do something Many of us come to God like the Lord, like we're Lord. You need to do something about that. I'm here to serve you and you alone. Like that's what Jesus is supposed to say. When Jesus is like, well, man, you need to check your heart. Because the grace that's surrounding this throne right here cannot come out to you. I mean, I got some grace for your situation. But I need you to get your heart right. Because confident leaders have to maintain righteousness. Righteousness in your spirit, yes, Christ did that. Him and him alone. Your spirit, man, has been made righteous. But your soul realm, whole nother ball game. And your soul realm can cloud up your spirit realm. You have to have fruits of righteousness. You have to practice righteousness. That's your responsibility. So if you're not maintaining righteousness, 
If you're not allowing what the Holy Spirit clearly would say to your righteous spirit on how to handle any situation, if you're not doing it that way, then you're not maintaining righteousness because you're not reflecting the righteousness you actually carry. You're letting your unrenewed mind hinder your righteousness being fruits being shown, the fruits of righteousness being displayed. Are you hearing me? Okay. So, if our heart's not right, then we're not going to have to confidence towards God, and we can only go to the throne of grace with confidence. So we got to get that right. Now, how about 1 John 2, 8? 1 John 2, 28. 1 John 2, 28. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, I do not have time to break this scripture down, but this is a problematic scripture. Very problematic. We have to what? Now, little children, what must we do? Abide. Why didn't he just say, now, little children, you're in him? Right. That's good. Yes. Hallelujah. We abide in him. That's a conscious choice every day. Every day to keep our heart right so we maintain confidence. That way when we get in any situation, we can confidently go before the throne of grace. We receive mercy. Mercy is like, how in the world are we going to overcome this deal right here? And give me grace to do it, and we do. That way we're always maintaining this righteousness that when he comes, we're not going to, there's no shame about us. Because we abide in the vine. The fruit is manifesting. When pruning season comes, cut it off and let me bear more fruit the next one because I'm going to abide in the vine. I abide in you. I do what you say. I, I yield where you say yield. I forgive where you say forgive. I jump where you say jump. I, I run where you say run. I sing where you say sing. I raise my hand where you say raise my hands. I mean, I do it. I had this thought actually when I was um, worshiping because I was freely worshiping my hands, you know. <laughs> And I just had a picture of someone standing in front of me, you know, and um, and I thought, you know, I wonder if I went around and just started standing in front of everybody. Could they just worship? I could probably identify how quick you're in the room. Well, let's just raise our hands together. And some be like. And I find that you're in the room. I'd find your rebellion. Because you don't want to be told what to do. (laughs) I'm telling you, as your pastor, I know more about you than you think, actually. I actually know your buttons. I know what I could say that would get you in the flesh like that. Because if it's there... It can be tapped. But when you're dead, it can't be. Because others, I know, I don't know if I could find it. The only way I'd find it is because they let themselves get somewhere, and I hadn't seen them there in a very long time. Everybody can go to the flesh. I understand that. But some are living in it. And you can just come push that button and boom. Ask yourself the question right now. Is there something that someone could do that I'd be like? And if there is, you need to repent. 
Can somebody say something about your kids and you get mad? Because if they can, you need to repent. I said you need to repent. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to defend your kids, you know, but at the end of the day, for you to get fleshy over it, And what if your kids are actually doing that? You got to be mature enough to say, yeah, I'm praying for them. Because let me tell you, you're not the only one who gets to know their junk. Because when they're messing up, everybody knows their junk. All right. Just say amen anyway. I say this because this is an issue. Now, it's very simple. This is extremely simple that you just get your heart right. It's not hard. It is easier to get your heart right than to not get your heart right. It's easier. I mean, we've warped this deal like it's so hard to fight. No, he put his spirit in us, George. He made your spirit just like him, George. There's no excuse for you ever to be fleshly. It's easier for you to be spiritual. It's just easier. Absolutely. No, I'm not saying George is that. I just called his name out. <laughs> when everybody like, what's wrong with George? <laughs> I'm not saying anything's wrong with George. I just know George, and he could handle me saying that. Plus, he's an usher, and if you're an usher, <laughs> I'm going to call your name out. <laughs> you're, you're usually closer. You know? I talk enough about my wife as it is. We try not to use her as an example. Please don't talk about me. I won't talk about you. <laughs> So again, now little children abide in me that when he appears, you may have confidence and not ashamed. Because again, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned there's a lot of people that think that if Jesus literally showed up, they'd be like, woo! I'm telling you, things that aren't right, you won't run. You'll hide. And when perfection and glory and pure holiness gets in your presence... I'm telling you. And we all going to bow, period. <laughs> That's just going to happen. Ain't nobody going up and say, bro, that ain't happening. You're not doing it. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's your king. I said, he's your king. All right? Now, if he tells you this is your secret handshake and he gives it to you, then you go right ahead. But don't you go in there leading. Yo, bro, what's up? I've been waiting on you. No. No, it's... It's not going to look like that. <laughs> it's not going to look like that. No. Number three, let me wind these down. Um, essentials for possessing confidence. Number one, know and act on the will of God. Number two, maintain righteousness. Y'all doing all right? Yes. You know, I mean, I can preach, but I can also teach when I need to. Amen. And at the end of the day, we need some leaders out there. Amen. Number three, develop endurance. You got to develop endurance. James 1, 2, and 4. You can't be a confident leader until you develop some endurance. James 1, 2, 3, 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you uh, encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect. Now, that doesn't mean perfection. That means mature. And God expects us to mature. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in in nothing. So again, tests that come against what God says as a confident leader, when you know God's will and you're standing and acting on it and you're maintaining your righteousness, your heart's right, 
You're judging every situation, every account, every encounter, every thing that said, you know, I got to make sure my heart's right in this deal so I can confidently go before the throne of God because I'm not going to be ashamed when he shows up. And when these conflicts come, I'm going to stand on this thing, period. And it's going to be this way. There is no plan B to what I know he has said and what he is saying because I'm always listening. I'm just listening. And I will do what he says, period. Then it develops an endurance in you that brings about maturity that you're like, wow. And let me tell you, God doesn't have a problem with it looking like chaos around you because you'll look like peace in the middle of it. And then he'll show out, show up, and all the ones that were the naysayers and came cannot deny that you have what you said. Are you hearing me? Yes. Cannot deny it at the end of the day. And honestly, I think there's some things we need to talk about a little bit more so that when they come to pass, you'll remember they were said. Yeah. I mean, we already know as far as Anchor Faith Church as a church body, we've been saying for years we would buy them all. Well, has it happened? Yes. And there's plenty that didn't know, didn't think, didn't stay long enough. To, but are we in it? Yes. Are we doing it? Yes. And we didn't have to have 5,000 to accomplish the task. We just needed to have a word from God, have the endurance, keep our hearts pure, and move forward. Amen. Period. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And you'll have situations in your life where people won't think that you'll do or whatever, and if you're really with God, then you're going to rise to the occasion. Because when you declared it before it came to pass... So what I love about getting around Pastor Roddy and Pastor Kenneth, every time we talk, he said, remember back in 2015 when we danced in your, because they always go back, we were dancing this thing in long before it ever came to pass because that's faith talking. And you got to have those moments. You got to be able to declare those things. Amen. Just like when Bishop Garraway was here and he said, you know, uh, prophesied over me that my voice, my name would be in the halls of power, in the governor's mansion. I had a meeting with a pastor. Uh, Anila, you here? Stand up, please. Pastor Andrew, would you stand up? We went and met with this pastor. We had lunch with him. He's up in Jacksonville. And he wanted to meet with us. Well, met with Anila first, saw her at the county, and then heard what she, you know, she was doing. Because he's blown away. How, that 25? She's 25, and she comes to the county commission meetings, and just like, why is she here? And then when she said, well, I do this for my pastor because we want to stay informed. Now they're blown away that she does. And she has a full-time job that she runs a business plus works with us at the school and used to go to college and do that as well, right? Are you still doing college? You're doing college now, actually. Yes, she's working on her master's right now. She does all this. You say, well, how does she have time? It's called management. That's what it's called. Anyway, so she sets the meeting up. We meet with this individual, and the individual says, well, I was wanting to meet with you because I just want you to know, Pastor Earl, I was in Tallahassee when I heard your name. They were talking about what you were doing. Well, now the prophecy of Bishop is coming to pass. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? You can be seated. Now, this ain't me. This is our assignment. 
Because the under, if we read the Bible, especially in the days we are, people in government should be preached to, at, talking to the ones who hear from heaven. Now, you can be a born-again believer and hear from heaven all by yourself. I get that. But that doesn't mean that the sector of society called his church should not have influence or have conversation with those that are in government. Because we are the ultimate government. We're the kingdom of God. And our mountains outgrowing everybody. Amen. Then my wife, from another lady that came during our Rama meeting, uh, she was from, now Bishop Garraway's from Trinidad, Tobago. She's from Zambia. And she told my wife, she says, your husband is about to be thrust into government and that his voice is going to be heard and they're going to listen to it. Wow. Well, what's that mean? Now I'm telling you that so when it happens... Because when it happens, because you know what? God wants the world to know his position. He wants to know. In fact, the advisor to our governor today literally introduced Anila because she went to another conference, the head of DCF and said there's no organization doing more in their community than Anchor Faith Church. And he is in the whole state of Florida. Now you understand when he says that, that's because we do West Augustine. We do Dining with Dignity. We do Osceola. We do Philagler College. We do, we do, not I do, we do. We've all bought into this culture because we're cultivating confidence as leaders to lead in our community by doing the exploits of God. Amen. And we're crossing cultural lines, economic lines, social lines, because the kingdom does that. Hallelujah. Man, you would want to be a part of this, not sit on the sideline. Luke chapter 21, verse 12 says this, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. I'm telling you right now, you might as well buckle in for endurance because endurance never ends. Paul said, Demas has left me. Well, Demas used to run with him. Demas saw the exploits, saw the power of God. Saw the move of God. But Demas has left me because he's fallen to the cares of the world. So you're not guaranteed you'll stay unless you choose to abide and endure. So I go back to Pastor Daryl Huffman's comment, and I love it. He said, when I got born again, I got born again for life. I'm just going to serve him forever. This wasn't when I'm going to serve him till the first offense, till the first, you know, disappointment, till the first, you know, God didn't do what I told, asked him to do because I was ignorant that he wasn't going to do it that way anyway, but I'm blaming him now. Are you hearing me? Endurance. Endurance will gain your lives. And the last one, number four, 
Essential for possessing confidence, know and act on the will of God, number one. Number two, maintain righteousness, number three. Develop endurance, number four, glorify the Lord. You gotta glorify the Lord. Romans 4.20 says this, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Are you hearing me? This is what I love about it. I'll give you an example of all three of these, and then it goes to number four, and his name's David. His name's David. David knew and acted on the will of God. He maintained his righteousness. Okay? He was a man after God's own heart. He um, developed endurance out in the shepherd field. Developed endurance. So when he walked out to feed his brothers at war and heard what the Goliath said, he knew the word. He knew the known will of God. He obviously had the anointing, and that anointing kicked in, and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? But notice when he went down to the Philistine, did he go down arrogantly? No, he did not, but he sure went down with confidence. He told the king confidently, King Saul, he said, listen, I've killed the lion and the bear. This, this Philistine is going to be no different. That's not arrogance talking. That's confidence. Because I know and will act on the will of God. The will of God is no uncircumcised nation can come against God's nation. I mean, he is taunting. He is blaspheming. God is not going to put up with that stuff. Because that's what the anointing will do to your life. And you're saying, not only, we have the anointing in us, we have God in us and the anointing upon us. David just had the anointing upon him. And if the anointing upon him called him to think, my gosh, man, it can't be this way, then how come we ain't talking like that? If you are truly anointed by the Spirit of God, who is this to have that kind of confidence against the things of the world? So when he gets down there, he wasn't a cocky little shepherd boy. He's like, you come with me with a sword and a spear, but I'm come to you in the name of the Lord. That's glorifying God. I am going to cut your head off, kill you and everybody behind you. Now, was he arrogant? No. That was confidence talking because glorify, he gave God the glory. You come with me with a spear and a sword, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. That's why I'm down here. I know you don't think nothing about my size. I understand what you just called me, but that don't move me because you don't move me because I've heard from the king. And I'm going to cut your head off, bro. And that's speaking faith because he don't even have a sword. So he's already eyeballing the other one. He's looking at the enemy's weapon saying, I'm fixing to use that against you. And you don't even know it. He, he literally tells Goliath, I'm going to take the sword in your own hand and cut your head off. Because God will take what the devil has meant for bad and turn it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That no weapon formed against the church will prosper. That he'll cause what the enemy set up for you, that they will be it'll become a snare to them. 
And all through our history book, we see where what the enemy set up to destroy, God uses it back on the enemy to destroy them. All they need was a confident leader who knows and acts on the will of God, who will maintain their righteousness, who will develop endurance and will give God the glory. Hallelujah. In Daniel eleven thirty two, 32, the latter part of this verse says this, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. The New King James says, do great exploits. God did not put you in the earth in this season, in this time, in all that's going on globally for you to sit back passively and wait to go to heaven. No, what he did is he put you in the earth so that you could take the lead in any sector of society you're in and show the exploits of God. To do that. So we don't undermine anything. I don't undermine the Treasure Harbor Preschool. Why does God want us to have a business? Why can't I just preach? Why? Because I need to raise up a generation of kids that I can put a seed in. Because if they don't go on to Washington, I've at least invested in those first years the word of the king. I've given the king something to go back to. But if they go on to Washington, oh, watch out now. So no parents, know this. We're only driving the flesh out and pulling the spirit in. We're trying to raise up confident leaders. Yeah. Because the generation today, they got to watch video games and TikTok. I mean, our next generation leaders watch TikTok. Hours. Hours. No, this generation coming up, if we don't do something, and the majority are going to prove it, are going to fall right into the hands of the Antichrist. That's what they're going to do. But we're against the grain because we're not of this world. I said we're not of this world. We're not of this world. And so we're raising people up to not be of this world. Hallelujah. So don't go to work tomorrow and say, well, that's just my job. No. No, it's not. Your job. It's your assignment to be an ambassador and to rise to the layer, to the level of massive influence. You may never get promoted, but it doesn't mean that they won't know that you're the leader. Because this is not about your promotion in the world standpoint. It's about your leadership when it comes to things of the kingdom. And they'll recognize, and you'll get persecuted for it, and they'll hate you for it, and they'll cuss about you, and they'll stab you in the back, but that's all right. Because if God can get the wage back to Laban, he'll get it back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I mean, what problem do you have? You don't even have a problem because you're the child of the king. Stand up. Say, I am. I'm going to do offerings, so please don't freak out. Say, I am a child of God, and I will be a confident leader in my generation. I will know God, act on his will, maintain righteousness, develop endurance, and glorify God with my life.
Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com.